Hello and welcome to this week's Catamania episode where I will be answering some of the questions that you have asked and this is sort of in response to request that I received from many of you to do a more of a long form Q&A. I think I've done that before a couple of times and what I find is when I do any kind of solo sews I try to keep them relatively short because I find when you have a conversation it's a little bit better if you have a long form podcast up to an hour or more than one hour but when it's a solo sode I don't know I just find it works best if it's shorter so I'm going to try my best to keep this short which means I'm not going to be able to answer nearly nearly all of your questions that's not English I'm not going to be able to answer all of your questions but I'm going to answer the ones that are reoccurring and the ones that are repeated and the most I guess, the biggest ones, so to speak. And I will continue to host Q&As on my Instagram and answer questions there, as well as I will endeavor to do these solo-sewed Q&As also, because I know that many of you always want them. So anyways, regardless, without further ado, um, I am going to jump in to your guys' questions. And as per usual, if you enjoy my podcast, please give it thumbs up, hearts, or whatever the like button is on the platform that you're listening to this on. It means more than you know. And if you are a brand or you have a company that you are growing and or you know of a brand or a company that is aligned with my message, with my style, or just with me in general, and you feel like supporting my podcast and helping it grow... Email me at info at and we can discuss potential sponsorships, collaboration, etc. Enjoy and stay blessed. Okay, so the first question, how did you learn about the female body besides the apps? Okay, so my journey to learning about the female body, and by any means I'm not saying that I have learned everything I need to know, but my journey started with my own mistake, so to speak, that I had made when I was just about 17, 18 years old. I moved to Canada and to give you sort of the, you know, story of it, I never had breakouts when I was a teenager ever. It was not a problem. I was very fortunate to have very good skin. I had very clear skin and I never had problems with breakouts. I moved to Canada and now in hindsight, when I look at it, I know the reason why that happened, but I basically started to get breakouts. I went to a doctor there because obviously I freaked out and I wanted to, or I was ready to do anything just to make them go away. So I went to a doctor. I told him that I'm having these problems with breakouts and without asking too many questions, without trying to figure it out, he prescribed birth control pills to me. He was like, here you go, this will help. I started taking birth control and I ended up taking it for about seven years until I completely just didn't feel myself. I felt irritated or I was very easily irritable. I was very easily angered. I was very masculine, like really, really masculine. And I just wasn't feeling myself. And I started to dig deep into why that could be. I also was a vegetarian for a little while there, which didn't work for me. Um, And I was, by the way, a vegetarian on birth control and not on birth control. And I can 
wholeheartedly confidently say that for me, vegetarianism did not work. So when I realized that there may be something with my birth control or there may be an effect on my body from this birth control, I went to a few doctors and I shared that sentiment and that thought with them to which I basically got an answer that, "Mm, no, it can't be your birth control, but let's try a different one. So I would try, I tried, I think one or two different ones, I think one, and it made things worse, even though they were supposed to be like the lower hormone level ones. And then I chatted with my girlfriends in Canada who or in the the United States who were pretty much all on birth control at that time. And then I chatted with my friends from back home in Eastern Europe who were all not on birth control at that time, which also made me question, like, here were my girlfriends more or less the same age. And in one part of the world, they were very adamant about not taking birth control. And then in Canada, where I was living at that time, obviously, um, everybody was on birth control and they were very adamant about taking birth, excuse me, birth control. So I kind of made the decision to get off of it. And it was a painful journey because my body was used to being on these synthetic hormones that basically suppressed all of my hormones. And it was about a six month to a year adjustment to get back to what my body is supposed to feel. To be completely honest with you, I still don't know if I'm 100% back uh, because, I mean, there's a huge difference. I'm now 28 years old and I obviously am a completely different person to begin with from my body composition to my brain development and all of that kind of stuff from when I was when I was 17. But I just, it took me a really long time to at least more or less feel myself and now I'm having a regular cycle and all of that. But it was not a fun process. And when I, how I started to learn about it all to answer your question, I know it's a really long tangent that I went on, but I, I think it's a really, really important subject that we need to discuss. And I have discussed it with a couple of professionals. One was Nat Kringudis a while back, and then the other one was Jen Pike, which was fairly recent podcast episode. You can research it um, on any of the platforms that you're listening to this on, and you can listen to the podcast that I had with them. But it's a really unfortunate situation because in the Western world, and I'm going to speak primarily about Canada and US, because I don't know how it is in Western Europe. I think it's more or less the same, but I haven't, you know, lived there. I haven't had experience there. So I can't speak to that. But birth control is a very widely prescribed drug. And nobody ever advises you of any side effects besides blood clots. And the side effects are enormous. And what really annoyed me is when I got off of it and I started to feel myself and I knew for sure that I was feeling very unwell because of the birth control and I tried to share that sentiment with my doctors, they weren't listening to me. So you have medical professionals who are trained to believe in one narrative and to promote one narrative and one type of drug. And when you share your personal experience with them, and I'm not the only one who's had this experience, they don't listen. They're like, well, you don't know anything. You're not a doctor. It's like, yeah, maybe I'm not a doctor, but my body's all fucked up and I know why it's fucked up. So why wouldn't you listen to me? And, you know, I'm not 
I'm not giving a blanket statement to all doctors that are, there are numerous amazing physicians out there who are seeking truth and seeking the best outcome for patients and people in general. So I'm not speaking about everybody, but it is definitely a problem in the Western world. So this is what motivated me to learn more about the female body. Then I got connected with people who knew a thing or two about it or more. <laughs> I got connected to doctors here back home with whom I started chatting about it. So endocrinologists and gynecologists primarily. My mom is a doctor back here, so she knows quite a few of them. So I kind of chatted with people here and they were like, oh my God, like unless you have a medical condition or you absolutely cannot get pregnant, you really shouldn't be taking hormonal, hormonal birth control. And then... I started my podcast and I got really interested in that subject and I got connected with, again, not Kring Gudis and also um, Jen Pike, with whom I mentioned previously or a little bit earlier uh, in this in this episode. And the more I started to learn about it from these professionals, the more I realized that it's a lot bigger of a problem than I thought it was and it's a lot more serious than I thought it was. And I kind of went down a rabbit hole of finding out more and more about it. And there's so much more to it, you know, the whole, the whole female cycle. I mean, our bodies are so incredibly complicated. You know, men have 24-hour cycle and we have a 28-day cycle that if you are not on birth control and if you are allowing your body to naturally have the cycle that it's supposed to have your hormones pretty much change from day to day. You feel differently pretty much from day to day. You lump it in weeks because you have four uh, total phases of the cycle, but you're literally feeling completely differently in each phase. During your ovulation phase, you have a spike of testosterone. You have, you know, you're feeling more social. Like it's all so incredibly complicated and, and, and fascinating. And how you eat at each phase of your cycle affects you. Like it's, it's a subject that you can probably spend a lifetime studying and you still won't know everything about. But that's kind of how I started. I just got curious. I started to research online and then I started to get connected with professionals and experts in this area. And I continue to learn about it every single day because I realized that you know, my body is like fantastic. Like my body is amazing and it does great things and I need to honor it and I need to make sure that I take care of it in the proper way and in the best way I can take care of it. So that's kind of it. Um, that's how I sort of went down and I encourage, you know, all of my female listeners, which I doubt that at this point, any male listeners state, but if you did, <laughs> thank you for listening. I think that every woman needs to know how her body works. And I don't think we're taught that. And we should be taught because we are just sort of, especially in the West, taught to suppress it or, you know, be like men and compete with men. And I don't think that that's what we're meant to do. Some of us are meant to hold positions that traditionally speaking were male positions or positions that men. Um, I guess, took or positions that men had in society. That's totally fine. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking specifically just about this idea of suppressing your natural cycle just because you don't want to have it. Seems to me like there's a purpose to it and we need to honor it. So very long um, answer to the question that you had, but there you go. Remember how I promised to keep this episode short? 
I'm already 15 minutes in, but it's a really great question. And I think, again, it's a question that you can keep on diving deeper and deeper into. And we should be diving deeper and deeper into. Next question. Why did you or why do you spend so much time in Moldova lately? So I have been spending time in Moldova every year for the past three or four years because my family is here and because most of my immediate family is here and I have friends here and also there's really great dentistry and cosmetic medicine so yeah it's at a level that is higher and the value is lower and you know to add to that having family here it's just it's a great it's a great place to be for a period of time during the year. So I try to make it here as often as I can and for as long as possible before I wasn't able to do that because the job that I used to work and the career that I was um, on didn't allow for much time off. With that said, now I'm pretty much not taking any time off when I'm here. I'm working from here as well. But I'm on my own schedule and I am here with my family still. I don't have to be tied to an office like I used to have to be tied to before. So it gives me a lot more flexibility and a lot more freedom. Next question. Is a Russian girl worthy the trip? Yeah. Your take on dating advice. Women need to inspire men. Do men need encouragement? Okay, so if I'm understanding this question correctly, um, you're basically asking if I think women need to inspire men and if I think that men need encouragement. Yes, I absolutely do. And let me maybe expand on on that a little bit and give you my opinion. So <clears throat> I think that men absolutely do need encouragement and men absolutely do need us to be their inspiration and their support. I think that what often happens, especially in long-term relationships, and I am guilty of this myself, I'd be the first one to admit it, is we get so comfortable with that person that we see no issue in nagging him or pointing out all the things that he's doing wrong or just focusing on the little annoying details and annoying things that he does or wanting something that you currently don't have and focusing on the lack. I had a conversation on my podcast with Jake Woodard. You can search it and listen to the episode. It's really great. It's all about masculinity, femininity, uh, polarity in relationships. And Jake is a wealth of, of knowledge and he's very well-versed when it comes to specifically that polarity in relationships. And he said something to me that really resonated and stuck with me for a long time. And it's a fact, it's a known fact that we seem to ignore that men are solution oriented, problem and solution. They are, the way their brains work is they need to have a problem that they can then solve. What we often do as women in relationships, and again, I'm guilty of this myself. I have done that on numerous occasions and I have learned that it does nothing but harm your relationship and your partner and emasculate your partner is we either over explain the problem or we complain or we nag like we see a problem and we explain to our partner what's happening but we do it in a way of like well see this problem that we have like we don't you know we don't have this and we don't have that and like oh my god like this person has this and this you know just as an example and then we instead of 
so that's problem number one is how we present the problem instead of just in a very mature and evolved way letting him know truthfully of what the problem is fact by fact and then instead of letting him find the solution we control him because we don't trust that he will find the solution to the problem that's never gonna work like that's just never gonna work we can also be problem solvers for sure but why would you need a relationship if you aren't going to want to have a partnership and a union where you both you know contribute your your best uh, sides to it and your best skills and your best selves to it right so i think that we often get so lost in these little problems and and issues that we have that we just focus on that so we end up nagging which is not encouragement and not inspiration we end up constantly focusing on the problem which is also not encouragement and not inspiration and we forget how good our partners are right like we assuming you're not in a toxic relationship assuming you're in a relationship with a nice guy with a good man who you love why are you ask yourself this question why are you constantly focusing on the negative things and why are you constantly focusing on the lack or the things that he is not doing instead of focusing on the good having that positive reassure positive reinforcement or reassurance right positive um pointing out all the positive and good things that he does for you and for your family and leaving him to solve the problems and trust him to solve the problems and if the first question that you asked yourself after hearing this is, yeah, but like, how am I going to know that he's going to do it? Or like, he's not going to be able to do it unless I, you know, tell him how to, then you either are so far down this whole lack of masculine feminine energies or the right balance of masculine feminine energies that are required for a relationship to work, or you're not with the right man. So Yes, to answer your question, I think we need to be both inspiration and encouragement for our men because they need it. And without it, they're not going to want to do anything. Just as simple as that. Men do, oh my God, like think about all of the crimes of passion. Men start, they, they go to war for women. You know the story of Troy? Like men are crazy when it comes to doing stuff for, for a woman. But if you constantly neg him and thereby emasculate him, he's not going to do, he's not going to want to do anything for you. So yes, it is very important. Next question, how to attract a partner. I find it so funny that whenever I post anything, any Q&A or any kind of, you know, potential interaction with y'all, the dating questions, the questions about relationships, masculinity, femininity are always at the top of the list. Which is an interesting thing, but I guess it's always a pain point for people and nobody really knows how to do things right in that area. And also, it's a pain point I find for a lot of people, specifically the masculinity and femininity subject um, in the West. It's a huge problem. And rightfully so. I think we've lost ourselves and got confused. Best advice that I have heard about attracting a partner. You make a list of things that you look for or that you want in your ideal partner. And then you make sure that you are a vibrational match to that. So what does that mean to me, for example? How do I interpret that? 
if you have a need or if you want as a woman to have a masculine, strong, protector, provider type of guy to be in a relationship with, and you yourself are a masculine, strong, protector, provider kind of woman, nothing wrong with that. But if you enter a relationship positioning yourself as an independent woman who doesn't need anybody to get things done, you are a boss bitch. And, uh, you know, you don't really need a man, you know, if you have that kind of attitude, but you also at the same time, tell yourself and others that you want a masculine protector provider type of guy, a masculine provider protector type of guy is never going to be attracted to you if you are in that energy and in that vibration. You got to kind of analyze the qualities that you need to have in you as a woman. And that doesn't mean that you need to change who you are. It just means that you need to cultivate certain behaviors, certain type of vibration to attract the right partner that you're looking for in your life. So that's that's the best advice that I have heard. Also, the number one key that I have realized is very important is not to be desperate. There's absolutely nothing more unattractive about a woman Man too, but specifically a woman who is desperate for a relationship and is desperate for a partner. First of all, think about like just anything in life, not just your partner or, you know, dating and relationships. But when you are desperate, does anything good ever happen? No, when you're desperate for anything, nothing good ever happens. You attract the wrong thing. You attract the the wrong partner, the wrong job, the wrong opportunity, it's not a good place to be. Desperation is is negative and it's anxiety and it's it doesn't bring about good things. So you got to relax and I think analyze yourself what you need from a partner and make sure you are a vibrational match that. Make sure that you yourself are exhibiting the right qualities and uh, character traits that are necessary to be in a relationship with that certain somebody. Thank you very much. This was the greatest dating coach of all time, of all time. Thank you for tuning in. I should start my own business. I should become a dating coach. I won't. I really won't because I. these are just the things that I've learned that work, that I have seen work for other people. You know, I'm not an expert in this area by any means, but certain things are just like common sense. And the funny thing is that they're common sense in my part of the world, but they're not common sense in the West because the West is confused in that area and in many other areas but anyways next question do you ever think about permanently returning to europe oh i love this question not only moldova or serbia yes i do so i do think about moldova and i i don't know why who is this person this girl that asked me this question um i don't know Maybe I mentioned somewhere that I have considered moving back to Moldova or Serbia. Um, I have thought about this and I feel like if I was to have to choose right now, if I was to live between Serbia and Moldova, I would choose Serbia, Belgrade specifically, because it kind of has a combination of the Eastern um, European and then the Western European vibe to it, if that makes sense. Um, I really love Belgrade. I thought it was a great city and it's a big city and I love big cities and it's beautiful. So I would have actually considered Belgrade probably even before I would consider Moldova, to be honest. Moldova, I have thought about just because, you know, my family's here and the cost of living is 
very uh, impressive for what it has to offer at the moment. But when it comes to just Europe in general, I have thought about it uh, for one specific reason. The lifestyle in Europe is honestly perfect for an extrovert. And I'm such an extrovert. I love going out and being with people. And this whole mm, lifestyle of going to cafes, going to restaurants, going outside and constantly being surrounded by a lot of people is such a vibe. And I love it so much. So I definitely have considered that. But with that said, I also really love living in North America. I love North America. I love, I love US. I mean, I don't live in US. I'm based out of Canada. But um, I love U.S. and Canadian cities, more so U.S., but I love the North American um, life. I worked so hard to be part of it, you know, and I spend my whole life dreaming about it. So I do love it, but I also, yes, I ha I do think about permanently moving. For now, it's just a thought, um, maybe at some point in the future, but also I feel like it would have to be maybe an English-speaking country which only leaves me with what England and Ireland and potentially Netherlands because the English the English the language of business is English there so I have considered it and I am considering it but for now it's just a consideration let me put it to you that way there's it's really I'm curious if any of my followers are like that I'm sure that I I have followers like that as well because y'all vibe with me so much but Anywhere I go, I could see myself living, except for like a couple of places that I visited. But most places that I visit, I'm like, wow, I could totally live here. I go to Paris and I'm like, oh, I could totally like learn French and live here, like for sure. And then, you know, I went to LA and I was like, oh my God, I have to live in LA. I have to live in LA. I mean, I just, I have to live in LA. I went to Montreal and I was like, I could, yeah, I could learn French and live here. Vancouver, same thing. I mean, we're pretty much in Vancouver, so to speak. But, you know, it's, I have, a, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I definitely have this thing where everywhere I go, I could totally see myself living. So, yeah, that's kind of it. Next question What is your favorite or what are your favorite restaurants in Chisinau? I love this city. Oh, that warms my heart. So, if you are planning on visiting Moldova and you haven't yet, um, I will say this that Moldova is not a country that you want to visit to see a lot of nature. Because it doesn't really have a lot of like fascinating nature to offer. I mean, we don't even have access to the sea anymore. <laughs> we did once upon a time, but we don't even have that now, right? What Moldova does have to offer, though, is really great restaurant experiences. I'm talking like luxury, amazing food, wine, really, really great restaurant experiences for a low price, like a really low price, especially compared to any European country, pretty much. So if you are into restaurants and having a good time with friends or just by yourself in a restaurant and drinking wine, Kishina was a great, great place to visit. My favorite restaurants are, um, what's that one called? Fuyor, which is like a French take on traditional Moldovan cuisine. It's really great. Then there's a Georgian restaurant called Mangal, which is also really great. I think it's Georgian. And then there's another also Georgian restaurant. Can you tell? I love Georgian restaurants uh, called La Sarkis. Those would be my top three at the moment. 
trying to think if there's any other ones. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And yeah, I mean, you can't really go wrong anywhere you go. Obviously, there are some places that are worse than others, but I think a lot of restaurants that you go to in Chisinau, you're going to be pleasantly surprised at the high level of customer service and the whole experience with or considering the price that you would pay for it. Next question. Do you think fasting is good for women's health? Uh, I don't know, to be honest with you. Mm, I would have to talk to somebody who knows more on this subject before I confidently answer it. I know that fasting is a part of pretty much every religion that we have on earth. Um, they talk about fasting in the Bible. But women's health, I don't know. And I would think that even if fasting is legitimately very good for you from time to time, for women, I think it would absolutely have to be tied to your cycle. You would have to pick the right time during your cycle to do it because you know how I talk about cycle syncing a lot and cycle syncing is not just about, you know, picking the right workout depending on the phase of the cycle that you're in. It's also about eating the right food depending on the phase of the cycle that you're in. It's also about um, doing the right things. Like it's so much more than just workouts, right? So when it comes to diet, for example, when you are in your follicular phase, they recommend eating a lot more vitamin C because it promotes like a healthier egg release. So there's a lot to it. And I think that it would for sure have to be, I think that it would for sure, I know that it would for sure have to be tied to your cycle. So you would need to, you would, I would need to look into it before I can answer that question, because I honestly don't know if it's a yes or no and how it would work. Next question is how to trust the process. Ooh, it's a philosophical question. Uh, how to trust the process. Mm. I think that when you are anxious and you are worried and you are nervous and you're experiencing any negative, so to speak, emotions or feelings, it's much harder to trust the process. So I would recommend, I know it's easier said than done when you're feeling worried, but I would recommend trying, doing whatever it takes to get into a very calm, relaxed, meditate, meditative state. So meditating would be a good way to put yourself in there, in that state. And then making a list of gratitude. You cannot be grateful and anxious at the same time. You cannot be grateful and worried at the same time. You cannot be grateful and resentful at the same time. So gratitude is a very powerful way to get into the right mindset to trust the process. That's what I would recommend. Meditate, get yourself into a very calm, very peaceful state. Write a list of things that you're really grateful for. Truthfully, thank God for them. I believe in God. So, you know, I always talk to God and I thank God for everything that I have. And when you truly, like truly from the bottom of your heart are grateful for things, there's no room for mistrust. There's just room for multiplication of what you are already grateful for and what you already do have and thereby trusting the process. That's how I view it. Next question. Is it easy to travel to Moldova if you don't speak the language or best to learn a few phrases? 
it is easy, I think, because I know a lot of people who have traveled here only speaking English and they were fine. They were doing really well. So I would say it's okay. I would recommend learning a few phrases in Romanian and or Russian because I think it would just be cool if you could connect with people that way. But I don't think it's necessary if you're traveling here. There's a lot of people who speak English. Most young people here speak English. So I think you'll be good. I think I think you will enjoy it if you don't speak uh, Romanian or Russian. Uh, Romanian is the official language of Moldova. Mm, I think most population speaks Russian. Half of the population is mainly Russian speaking. Um, I always thought that Moldova should recognize all of the languages that are present here, which are at least Romanian, Russian, Ukrainian, um, Bulgarian, and Turkish. If I was the president, which I will not be, but if I was the president, that's the first thing that I would do because that would unite this country like there's no tomorrow. And that is what any country needs is unification and not division and conquering. So, yeah. And I would make English also the official language. So if I was the president of Moldova, I would make Romanian, Russian, Ukrainian, Bulgarian, Turkish, and English, the official language of Moldova. Period. Thank you very much for listening. Vote for me. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not going to run for president because politics is... Next question. How to approach a Slavic woman if you are from a non-Slavic country? Read my ebook. I have a whole ebook about how to approach and date a woman from Slavic and Eastern European nations. Um, the same person actually asked a question here, how to make first date successful with a Slavic woman. Again, read my ebook. I had, there's basically a description of exactly what you need to do. The basic gist of it is Slavic and Eastern European women are very traditional when it comes to dating and family values. Uh, in these parts of the world, as a man, you are expected to be chivalrous. You are expected to be a gentleman. And if you're not, there's not going to be a second date. Uh, but genuinely cultivate chivalry. Like, don't be a chauvinist. It doesn't mean that you, you know, need to be... Um, yeah, you need to be chauvinistic. You just need to be a gentleman, which those two do not go hand in hand. Being a gentleman and being chivalrous is beautiful. So work on becoming chivalrous, learning the etiquette and um, being a gentleman and you will be okay. And read my ebook because I, yeah, there's all, all this information is in the ebook. So I highly recommend that you study it and good luck. It sounds like you have a crush on a Slavic girl. So yeah. Best of luck. If you're strong enough, you'll survive. <laughs> your thoughts and feelings. Next question is your thoughts and feelings after you return from the motherland. Walk us through the adjustment. After I return from the motherland. Okay, and then there's also a question here that is there are times you appear to not be on to be on the fence about Canada. Why do you feel that way? So I'm gonna answer both of these questions because they kind of tie into one another or tie together. My thoughts and feelings when I return, it's bittersweet always because obviously whenever I leave here, I leave my family, I leave my friends whom I really love and it doesn't feel good to leave 
your loved ones here but then I have you know other loved ones in Canada and then I also have a life set up um, that I have been sort of you know living for the last couple of years in Mexico especially over winters so it's bittersweet because there are certain things that I appreciate and I love about my life in North America which Mexico is also North America, but I, whenever I say North America in my videos, I do not mean Mexico because Mexico is actually very similar to Eastern Europe in many, many, many ways. When I say North America, I mean United States and Canada. And Mexico also, if you've been to Mexico, you would know that it's not, it's not really North American. It's more Latin than it is North American. It's more like South American than North American. But for geographical and whatever are the reasons they're considered North America. But I love my life in North America and I love my life when I come to Europe. So it's bittersweet. That's the feeling. The adjustment is, the adjustment is okay. Like it's, again, I'm coming back to something good. So it's okay. But I definitely miss my family and my friends and my life here. And then in terms of the reasons why I appear to be on the fence about Canada, ooh, it's a loaded question. <laughs> in short, so I would like to preface this by saying that I really love Canada and I love United States of America. Um, I think that those countries have historically offered something that is the most precious thing a human being can have, which is freedom. Freedom of opportunity, freedom of choice, freedom of growth, freedom of success, freedom on every level. And what I have been able to build in Canada has been something that I have been dreaming of ever since I was a little girl, you know, watching TV, watching like American movies and all the success and prosperity that people would have. And it's amazing. And it's remarkable. The reason why I have been on the fence about Canada for the last couple of years is simply put because of very bad leadership. I think that Canada is in danger with our current leadership. The reason why I think it's in danger is because our current government has very authoritarian tendencies and very USSR-like, <laughs> circa Stalin's times, um, approach to things. I don't want to get too deep into it because it's honestly kind of a negative subject, but you asked and I'm going to you know, endeavor to answer questions honestly always. I will always answer them honestly, but I will endeavor to answer them as fully as I can answer them. Whatever the intention behind his actions and decisions is, the outcome is the same. Um, he had censored our internet, or at least he made it the law uh, to for the government to have total control over what Canadians are, are seeing online. I don't know how he has been able to execute it thus far, but it's a very scary thing when your government tries to censor the information that you have access to. That's literally what tyrannical governments that have gone batshit crazy in the past have done. Uh, so that really scares me. And also the fact that, you know, when we had the protests, the truckers protests and people who have donated to that, it was a peaceful protest, at least from the information that I was able to gather about it. It was a peaceful protest um, in Canada. The fact that he froze people's bank accounts, personal bank accounts for donating money to the cause that they believed in is scary as fuck and should not happen in what's supposed to be the freest, most democratic society that has ever been known to planet Earth. So that's why I'm on the fence about Canada. Um, the socialist tendencies that 
the government has um, because I don't I I'm I really don't want to live in a socialist society. I've lived in the aftermath of a socialist society where everybody's equal and I can tell you firsthand it does not work. And it it will never work and it should not be tried in what historically has been one of the greatest places to live on planet Earth. So that's why I'm on the fence. I still have faith in Canada because Canada is filled with immigrants like myself from places like I am from um, and more. And I think realistically, well, I don't know if it's realistically, but hopefully I'm hoping that it'll be okay. Uh, but there are certain things that are scaring the crap out of me. Um, now it's a little bit more calm, but every now and then he does something that I just, I'm like, I can't believe that the most democratic and freest society on planet Earth is going through this right now. So, but I think it's a kind of, a common problem in a lot of the Western countries right now. And what I've learned is nowhere is perfect because, you know, when I think of alternatives, it's like, would I move back home to live here permanently? I don't know. I don't think so. You got to kind of choose what's best for you, depending on your priorities, assuming that you have the freedom to do so, because many people don't have the freedom to choose where they want to live because they don't have access to the countries that they want to live in. You know, when I was growing up, we didn't have an opportunity to just freely leave our country and go somewhere else to experience a life somewhere else. Now it's more of a possibility for people here. But when I was growing up, that was not the case. So yeah, that's kind of, that. that that's my take. Uh, with that said, Canada, again, is a great country still. It's beautiful. So if you haven't visited it, I definitely recommend. And we still are able to do fairly well on the economical side of things. Not nearly as good as we should be doing, considering the abundant resources that we have and the brains that that country has. We should be like, I don't know, we, we should be like the Emirates. We should be so incredibly rich and wealthy and prosperous if we weren't led by you know if we didn't have poor leadership yeah next question let me see what else we have we're kind of coming um at our time here remember how i said this episode is going to be short <laughs> and this is a solo soda oh my god how much can one person talk hey uh let me see what else y'all uh seeing a question here how do you cultivate your femininity Get off birth control. That would be my number one thing. Uh, stop competing with men. Stop having this attitude that you constantly need to prove something to a man. Um, and do things that bring you joy and do things like slow down because we live in a world, especially, you know, in the Western world where we are, pra the more masculine we are, the more we are praised, the more we are in a rush, the more it seems to be like a thing, you know, like saying that I'm really busy and I don't have time is like a really fashionable thing to do. And don't get me wrong, everybody's busy, everybody's always in a rush, but it almost like becomes a part of a culture. And I think the more you're rushing and feeling like, you know, oh my God, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, oh my God, you you suppress your femininity. Try to slow down. Try to take your time as much as you can. Don't react. Like take time to analyze. If someone says something to you, don't just instantly react. Just try to analyze it and respond thoughtfully. Don't 
don't, yeah, don't rush through things. Um, wear things that make you feel feminine. That's a really big one. There was a time when I would not wear any dresses or skirts when I worked in the corporate world. And I wore only black and gray. I still really love black and gray clothes. I wear them a lot. But I caught myself constantly trying to dress like a man. And I was like, why am I doing this? This makes no sense. So take care of yourself. You know, do things that make you feel good, that make you look good. Take care of your appearance because contrary to what the modern, you know, media and mainstream is trying to tell you, your looks matter. You need to like your reflection in the mirror, whatever that means to you. We all have different tastes. I appreciate that. But you yourself have to like your reflection in the mirror. So whatever that means to you, you know, take care of yourself so that you look good and you feel good. Stretching and working out. But specifically stretching. I work out as well. I do lift training but or weight, weight lift training. But I find that the more I stretch, the more I go to yoga and do like splits training, the more feminine I feel. Because it's like a very feminine thing. Not, I mean, stretching for splits, men do that as well. But if you're doing it slowly and you're kind of taking your time to breathe and all of that stuff, it really helps you slow down and thereby cultivate your femininity. Yeah, that'd be my advice. Somebody else asked a question. Um, what advice would you have for someone moving from Canada to the Balkans? Are you a Canadian citizen who's moving to the Balkans? Or are you a Balkan who's moving back to the Balkans from Canada? In any event, I mean, I haven't lived in the Balkans, but Balkans, Eastern Europe similar mentality, similar, similar things. Um, I mean, be ready for very traditional family values. <laughs> be ready if you're a girl, which I think you are. Um, guys will, if there's a guy next to you, they're not going to let you lift heavy things, which is such a blessing and a beautiful thing. I'm so happy when I'm here and I, I literally have not had to lift anything heavy so far. If a guy was a random guy, like if a guy walks by on the street with no romantic connotation whatsoever, if somebody sees me struggling to lift something, they will come up and they will lift it for me without even asking too many questions. Because that's how men here are raised. They're raised that they are gentlemen and they need to, um, you know, do the heavy work, so to speak. So get ready for that. That is really nice. I don't know how it is, again, in Balkan countries, um, but I will say that, for example, when I'm in Moldova, um, you can feel the corruption on basic day-to-day -day level if you are working here and if you're you know, building a life here and if you're fully based out of here, um, that can get to you. And when I say corruption on every level, just the nepotism. Nepotism here exists on every level. But at the same time, just be open-minded and try to find an approach to that. Because there's always, there's always going to be a way you'll be able to deal with things. It's just an adjustment, especially if you have lived in Canada for a long time or if you've always lived in Canada. It can be a bit of a shock to you that anywhere you go, you, you, know, you renew your driver's license. Sometimes it can be a pain 
you know, it's such a rigmarole and a nepotism game and it's, it can get difficult. Uh, again, Balkan countries, because when you say Balkans, you mean like Balkan countries, right? Like the ex-Yugoslav and I think it's the same. I mean, I've, I've been to Bosnia, I've been to Serbia. I haven't had to do any like paperwork or document work, but I would presume it's very similar. So get ready for an adjustment in that regard. Mm, just be open-minded. Balkan people are really fun. They're very warm. They like to dance and party <laughs> and they like to drink a lot. So I think you'll have a good time, whether you're returning there or going there for the first time. And, you know, just, yeah, just be open-minded. People, what I've learned is people are nice everywhere. Yes, there are some assholes and psychopaths, but in general, I think people are great everywhere. And whatever energy you bring to a place is what you're going to get in return. So just be open-minded and I think you'll be okay. And if you need advice or learn anything, then come on my uh, channel and uh, watch the videos. And maybe maybe you'll learn a thing or two about the difference in, in the cultures and stuff like that. So Anywho, I think that's all I have time for because I've been talking for way too long. There are so many questions that I didn't answer, so I'll definitely have to do this again. And again, like I said in the beginning of this episode, I will be hosting Q&As or I will continue to host Q&As on my Instagram because I just love connecting with you guys through this. And if I can provide any kind of value to you, whether that's through my previous experience or opinions that I've formed uh, from the information that I've gathered on a subject or talking to somebody who's an expert in an area that interests you, then I'm happy that I'm doing my job right. I love you so much. Thank you and have a great day. Mwah.